Hello, Robert England here, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, and you're listening to GeeksOfTheIndustry.com. Don't fall asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily a... We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Creature Features, a horror discussion from Geeks of the Industry.com, and now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to a very special episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com. I, of course, am your host, and my name is Chunky Larry, and uh, I'm sure that most of you who are fans of the horror genre over the course of uh, the month of October, November, and December were treated to these these short snippets um, that were pieces of a much larger picture, and uh, these were absolutely something that I absolutely needed at the time. I was working on the Horror Hall of Fame, and it was just beating my ass to death. And it was it was a, a rare treat and a highlight for me to be able to re-enter the world of Elm Street. For those of you who have been keeping score, it's his fucking banquet and I'm the last course. Um, I started my whole journey within obsession of horror through The Nightmare on Elm Street. Obviously, other films, you know, kind of helped facilitate that way, but the first, the be-all, end-all, for me, has always been A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, one of the things that I like to do whenever something Nightmare on Elm Street comes across my plate is at least try to reach out to the people responsible for making it, and um, more often than not, they're always very um, agreeable and, you know, fantastic. This one, most specifically to me, is one of the most interesting and visually just stylish, the closest, in my opinion, representation of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I have the director of this short. Uh, I'd like to know more about it and find out more, and hopefully we'll be able to do that over the course of this conversation. He is an editor, a director of photography, and a director and writer. Um, Just a, a BYO... Uh, filmmaker who's really just setting the world on fire, on fire, uh, with his latest short, Nightmare, Return to Elm Street, and his name is Dominique Smith. How you doing, man? Oh, that was like the Michael Jordan of introductions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, that's one thing that I I always uh, try to do is make sure that, you know, you... You set the person up. You, you make sure that they feel like they're important because you are important, dude. You did something that a lot of people have tried to do, but nobody has really done the way that you've done. And, and you know, I have f- friends that have done fantastic Elm Street fan films, and, you know, but there's something about what you did 
with Return to Elm Street. That's just, it's so phenomenal. Like it, it and I and I talked to you a little bit uh, just via Facebook about this before we, you know, started doing this conversation. And I and I said this is as close to good Nightmare on Elm Street as most of the latter sequels had gotten. I, I, for my personal opinion, um, the last great sequel was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, you could even say Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but it doesn't necessarily constitute as a sequel. Right. It, you know, it, it's it's something that is its own thing, and it's very meta, and it, it doesn't necessarily operate within the world of Elm Street, though it has the same characters. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of being within the confines of Elm Street, like if if we would have gotten Return to Elm Street instead of the the remake, the, uh, um, I, I I think that much more of a a sequel and a, a second life would have been given to that franchise. And and one of the things is that I'm absolutely curious about because I know that you are you know a filmmaker first, but it seems like this could only be done by somebody who is an absolute fan of this of this franchise and this genre or subgenre if you will uh, of a nightmare on Elm street so i, I kind of want to get a little bit of backstory about you and then we'll kind of get into return if that's okay oh yeah yeah absolutely man so uh, when did you start yeah. uh your pursuit of film um around when i was around like 18, 19 uh, is when I actually got into film. Um, before that, I never really thought of, uh, like, I never really thought of filmmaking as being, you know, like being a career. Like, I remember when I was getting ready to graduate, majority of the people in my family are all, like, in the medical field. So my mom was, like, pushing me to, like, become a nurse. She's like, oh, nurses are, like, you know, male nurses. Um, it's, like, those are important right now because, you know, there aren't a lot of them out there. Um, and she had made the mistake of buying me a camera, uh, for Christmas. Um, it was just a small digital camera point and shoot. Mm. Um, but it recorded video and I was always a storyteller growing up. Um, like I always wrote short stories and stuff like that. So I was like playing around with the camera one day and like got to experience like playing with editing, um, editing equipment and I cut together this like small horror trailer and like from there I was just like in love with it I was absolutely just engulfed in wanting to figure out what this thing is called filmmaking and like how can I take all these short stories that I've been writing for years and like turn them you know into like in, into the visual medium um so from there I was kind of just like sucked into it and I never turned back and when you started, uh, I'm assuming you were doing like mini DV. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I had like Final uh, Cut Pro or no. Well, I and like most people, like I started out on iMovie, mm. um, and I was doing yeah, I was doing iMovie for about like two years. Um, not even that, actually, like a year. And I had taken classes down at my local um, community access center. Um, and they taught me how to use Final Cut. So then I was working with Final Cut 7 and like that was the Bible for me for like years until they switched it up and then I moved on to Premiere. And you know, I, I, looking at your IMDb, which is kind of basically what I do with any filmmaker I'm interviewing is kind of being able to kind of make my own assessments and then have you correct uh, based on set assessments uh it, it seems like you did most of your work within editing was that kind of in your mind what you were going to do or was it more of a this is a foundation for moving on to direction yeah it was it was all yeah definitely a foundation um the thing is like i love editing i, I love editing more than anything, I always tell people I'm an editor first, a director second. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just even um, to, to be 
a technically successful director, you need to understand the basics of editing and under, you know, like, because you have to be able to speak that language. You have to be able to understand when something is going to be able to work in a cut or if it's not going to be able to work in a cut. Um, so going into it, my mentality was always, I want to be the strongest editor possible that I can be. And then I can, you know, start focusing on my directing skills. And so that's why I spent years just focusing on being a strong editor that way. When I'm shooting, like, I know exactly what I want. It's always important when you're working with a director of photography um, that you can make that decision of, you know what, we don't need this shot because everything is, you know, like we have the moments covered in this moment or in that moment, or I know I want to, I want to cut to this moment at this point. So we don't have to worry about covering it. You know, it's just, it's all about, you know, uh, protecting the budget, you know, uh, protecting like the time, the time that you guys are shooting, everything. And, you know, it, it almost harkens back to the idea of, you know, acting before directing as well. So you have kind of a shorthand language-wise when working with an actor. Uh, exactly. To kind of understand their plight and the things that they have to address when they're going into doing these performances. Uh, how, how focused on something like, uh, like this or Reset or even infinite nightmares uh, was was it for you for performances because uh, the the pieces that i've seen i, I honestly um, and this is just speaking honestly i haven't seen the full features there the full shorts i've seen the snippets and things like that from your reels um but there seems to be a reliance well, not not so i think reliance isn't the right word but a almost like a, a forethought of visual style um you know so there's there's a lot of visual substance in each one of those pictures and specifically in return it, there's there's one moment that just stands out straight up to me and it's probably going to be the cover for this episode is uh <laughs> freddy with the claw into the record it just that's just such a a visual moment and you know the the mannerisms and everything but the the thing that i that that i really took away from uh return was the performances i mean it is it's a visually stunning picture but you know the cast in what's ostensibly a trailer are giving you know theatrical performances and so i i i'm curious to know what your approach is in terms of directing actors oh yeah so it's um i mean so i go into directing actors a similar approach um that i go into just working with every person who's on my crew which is acknowledging that i brought you on here to do a job and i trust you like mm. i wouldn't have put you in this position if i didn't trust you um so i definitely go into it with the mentality that not only am i throwing trust out there um but I'm expecting I'm expecting them to do whatever homework they need to within like what I've given them for this character and then from there once we get on set it's just kind of um, it's like talking shop and just playing around and trying to figure out what works like I usually I do my best to uh, give them as much background information on how I view this character and now at this point it's on like it's up to you because for me I've always felt like the actor needs to know that character better than anybody else. So mm. when we're on set and I want to do something a little bit different, um, I want to speak to you at this point and let me know what do you think the character would do at this point? Um, because they've studied, you know, like they've they've made this character their own at that point. Like they've taken this character from me and they're now building it up. As long as the structure never changes, as long as the rules never change, I have no problem with, with the actors that I that I work with taking chances um and, and to me at the the worst that i can say is like ah you know I, I i didn't really feel that take or i didn't you know i didn't like that you chose to do it this way i'm not really viewing it that way but these are the reasons why but aside from that like i kind of i do my best to give them as much leeway to play as possible i like i, I hate to constrict anybody who's working with me um, because everybody's able to bring new ideas and make every, to me, at the end of the day, it's all about making the product as best as possible. And it doesn't mean that 
one like one person steering the ship is going to do that like we're we're a team we're a family and we're doing it all together and there's there's some different approaches that i've just kind of gathered uh there are some directors that are very vocal um with what they want there are some directors that are very silent um in terms of giving direction Uh, Uh now you're you're coming from a place of you hired the person because you trust what they are going to bring to the table so you only really speak up if they're doing something that doesn't really jibe with your vision or do you kind of give kind of a walkthrough before you guys even start rolling because oh yeah 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 absolutely like we'll like before every shot just like you know standard processes you know like we'll we'll do a blocking and i'll be able mm-hmm. to watch the performance for the first time and i either like give a a, a yay or nay and i'm like okay you know what what made you make that decision? Like, what made you do it this way? Oh, well, I chose to do it this way because of X, Y, Z. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm. So this is what I'm feeling. And then from there, we kind of, like, build it together. Mm-hmm. Or if it's they bring something absolutely new to the table that hadn't even crossed my mind, which has happened before in a few different films that I've done. And it's like, man, I didn't even think about it that way. But you know what? Like, that was a strong decision. Let's do that instead because I'm really into that. And with shooting on video as opposed to film, uh, which I, uh, it's video that you're shooting on, right? Yeah. And it being kind of almost in essence where you're not having to pay for the film, you know, so each time you start rolling that camera, it's not like it's, it's taking chunks of change out of your pocket. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel a little bit more inclined to shoot extra, or are you very kind of concise with, as an editor, you know, once you've gotten everything, that it's time to move on? You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, like, my, my director of photography, uh, Scott Sullivan, like, one of my best friends ever, mm-hmm. um, he'll actually, like, I'll call cut, and because we're so close and we work together so long, He'll like nudge me, and he's like, "Wait, hold on. Like, let, let me get a little bit extra, just in case for you." Because when I like when I see it, I'm done. I'm like, "All right, let's move on to the next." Um, and, and with our working relationship, that's definitely helped me out. Um, like a few times, like not enough where it would be an issue, but yeah, I'm usually pretty decisive on like when I see the moment. I'm like, "All right, let's move on." And it's funny that you say that about film com- uh, compared to digital. Uh, because like with me working as an editor and i also work as a a digital imaging technician which is just um it's the person on set who ingests all of the footage for the day and they organize everything and prep it for other editors Mm. um coded usually yeah yeah so what what happens is uh it's not crazy cheap like i've worked on productions where directors will roll and roll and roll and roll and roll all day and even though it's not film this is still taking up a lot of digital space and it's like yeah those four terabyte hard drives were gonna work but now you shot 10 terabytes worth of footage like now you know we gotta (laughs) we gotta back all this up man (laughs) so at that point it becomes more of a storage issue than you know the cost of film and that like comparatively if you look at the cost of storage as opposed to the cost of film, do they even out or? No, okay, so they don't even out in that aspect, but I would look at it um, in the aspect of um, an editor's time. You know, like if you're paying somebody, you know, if an editor's like getting paid hourly, like now that's way more footage that they have to go through because the person wasn't decisive or not even not even have anything to do with decisive just different you know workflows and it's like ah they like to roll the camera longer because they're going to find that moment as opposed to like manufacturing that moment which is totally understandable but there's also that's going to cost more money somewhere if it's not here like it's going to cost more money somewhere Mm. it probably still wouldn't equate to film but it's just like you know just just kind of schooling people and making sure people understand that like even though you shoot digital um you can roll as much as you want like there's still going to be extra money like it's not like 
all of that footage just goes to like a free cloud or something. <laughs> and, you know, organically kind of creating something that is within the world of a beloved franchise. Um, I I'd had uh, Vincent DeSanti on last year. I don't know if you've seen Never Hike Alone or not, but yeah, yeah, I, no, I no, like him, him and I have spoken. I, I liken the two of you very similar in a lot of the different respects that you both are taking something that you're obviously fans of, and rather than just you know saying oh, me and a couple of my friends are going to shoot this, you really take the approach of you know treating it like a production. Mm-hmm. You, you you get what I'm saying? It, that yeah, a lot of yeah. the times, uh, one of the one of the most common misconceptions with fan films, finger quotes. I don't know if you could hear those finger quotes, but they were loud as <laughs> shit. Um, is that there isn't a lot of professionalism taken to the approach of making these films, and where to me, and I I've said this till I was blue in the face. Never Hide Alone was the best horror film of 2017, in my personal opinion. That's just my opinion. Nice. Um, and yes, that's including Get Out and It. Uh, both <laughs> great films, but for me, uh, Never Hike Alone just kind of touched me on a different level. Uh, but that being said, you know, is there's this this pushback from a certain level of audience. Um, who have grown up with these films and love these films and will kind of, you know, well, that's not, that's not, how many times are they going to do this? And I'm sure you've heard these remarks. So, um, <laughs> I can only imagine it's the internet, you know, yeah. for, for every 50 of me that are saying, Oh my God, Domo is the shit. And just like all of that. There's got to be a hundred other guys that are, you know, like, oh, fucking, this is stupid. And I, and I can only imagine. But it's like, in my personal opinion, I, I, I've i wanted to see this character return. Robert Englund yeah. has straight up said, just straight up, like, without any equivocation, I'm not doing it again. And yeah. <laughs> so there's automatically that, you know, that Jackie Hurl Haley you know, thing that people are when they when they look at it, they're like, "That's not my Freddy," and it, yeah. it's you know, what I think you guys did in in this in Return to Elm Street uh, with Nathan is really captured the essence of what Freddy is. Um, I, I've said the same thing about Roberto Lombardi, and I'm sure you've seen those as well, correct? Oh yeah, 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 love them. Yeah, uh, they're they're fantastic. But yeah. what what you guys each each one of those films, what was done, or even Confessions of Fred Krueger, same thing is they rather than trying to do Robert England, you guys were doing Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. and you know that's an interpretive thing. So what? What was your approach, knowing that you were going to be confronted with these things, in terms of the way that you brought Freddy Krueger to life? Um, so when I went into it, my whole thing was one, like the biggest question would be, what what would Wes Craven do? Like that was where my mind always went to. It was like, what would Wes Craven do, and how can I bring my own style to it? Um, so going into it, I knew I didn't want to make a Freddy that like that talked a lot. I didn't like I didn't want to make a Freddy who who was a comedian like that. Like that was never my personal interest, um, because when I think back to Nightmare, like I think about the moments that scared me, like n- not moments that I laughed. <laughs> like I thought about the moments that brought fear into me. Um, so going into it. I originally, I go back to the original, um, I go back to, um, New Nightmare, which we've acknowledged before is like outside of the realm, like kind of doesn't really fit within the sequels. Um, but there's still pieces of it that is Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like one of the last times that like, like even as I had gotten older, like 
it had brought fear back for me for like Freddy Krueger. And then the remake, as much as like people trash it and they hate it, I thought Jackie Earl Haley did an amazing job. Like outside of the makeup and all of that stuff, just focusing on an actual performance, um, I thought he did a really good job. And I love, I, like I personally loved his voice. I loved his voice and I loved Robert Englund's voice. So when I sat down with Nathan, I told him this is kind of what I'm going for. Like, this is, this, like, I would love to have a mesh of, like, both of those voices. Um, and so with that, like, you are kind of creating your own, like, sound from all of that. Cause, like, and that's the big thing I get from, like, that's, like, just garbage I get from everybody is, oh, he doesn't sound like Freddy Krueger. And to me, when people say stuff like that, it's just like, you're, like, Freddy Krueger is more than, like, just that sound to me. Like, you're giving new actors, like that like it's such a disservice to assume that a new person is going to come in and you just want them to mirror exactly what you fell in love with um as opposed to bringing something new i mean like with that mentality you know like you wouldn't have amazing performances um like heath ledger's joker like you wouldn't have that stuff because everything would just be replicated from what you first saw yeah if um, heath ledger was doing caesar romero That'd be a totally different fucking movie. <laughs> Ooh, exactly. Don't you know how I got these scars? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's. I mean, so going into it, that was my mentality: is like, you know what? As much as 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 I love the originals, as much as I'm in love with them, and like, I need to put my own stamp on it. Otherwise, like, what makes what makes this different? Like, what makes this new and fresh, and you know, and like, in, inventive. Um, so we went into all of that. We talked about like his, it, like a lot of the stuff we did pull from Robert England. Like, I, like I've seen every behind the scenes footage and interview. And like one of the things he talked about was like his stance and how he got used to that. And like the first time he put on a glove, like it, like there was a weight to it. Yeah. 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 And so like that was, you know, like a prominent thing that Nathan and I talked about and like the way he would walk and all of that. And it sucks because a lot of the detail that we went into, um, nobody will ever see because it's because <laughs> it's not a part of the trailers. Like, there's so much extra stuff that like that has been shot. Um, that I mean, like obviously, like I'll, I'll release things here and there, but overall, it's just like the larger story is like there's so much detail that went into this character, man. That that that, that we built up. Now, have you have you given any thought to doing kind of what Never Hike Alone did? In the sense that, you know, there's clearly, you guys have a story that you, I, I had assumed, looking at the trailer, that there's a full story and you just took snippets of that story. Is that the case or is it that? Absolutely. Spot on. Spot on. That's so, exactly what we did. And how long is the script? Like, if you were to equate script time to runtime, you 90 minutes. It is, it is a, a full feature film. film. Yeah, it's a full feature film. Now, did you have you given any thought to maybe crowdfunding it and doing it maybe in three parts? So then you have your first act, your second act, your third act. You crowdfund each act, and that merits continuing it. Or do you feel that if you were to do it like that, that even if you didn't get the funding, which I doubt you would have any issues with, um, you would still want to finish it just because you know you don't want to leave it unfinished. Yeah, my so my big thing is when we went into it, um, it was all like it was always meant to just be a trailer. I was like, yeah, like that that that's that's all I want to do. And I'm like the um, the the far away like needle in a haystack, like one in a million chance is that <clears throat> the studio will see it and be impressed enough to say, you know what, like let's bring this kid on to do X Y Z. Um, and everything else I was never interested in. Like, and my producer, like in the beginning, like up until like maybe a month and a half ago, um, he was pushing me hard. Like, bro, we're getting so much publicity. Let's just do the crowdfunding campaign and like do this thing. Um, and it's just my, and, and it, you gotta, like, I had to make everybody understand. And like, my thing is I just have so much love for the franchise that even if I did a crowdfunding campaign, it would have to be a huge budget 
crowd crowdfunding campaign just to do it exactly how I know it needs to be done. Only because and the, the thing is, I'm not a big like, oh, I just need like tons of money to to like Michael Bay it. And it's like, I totally don't feel that way. But I just know in comparison to be competing with the originals and also needing to be better than the the, re, the reboot um, production level wise, not story or whatever. Um, it needs to be a sizable amount of money. Otherwise, I like I personally would feel like I'm letting the franchise down, even though the fans want it. Um, so that's just where my mentality is. So I don't think I would ever do a crowdfunding campaign. It's just like if I never hear from Warner or New Line or anything like that, it'll more than likely just die online, which is the saddest thing to say, um, especially because the story that we came up with, um, I'm I'm a pretty humble guy and like I don't like like toot my horn or anything like that but this story I think I think it would be perfect like I think it would be perfect for like revamping this franchise like there's so many twists and turns when and when I'd gone into it my mentality was how do I create something that's going to scare people again but also have a strong story to it like something that isn't just surface level like slasher film like something that it's just like you can't get this out of your head after it's over with because of everything that was implemented into it and, um, and that's what I want to do could I, could I just say uh, I really enjoyed the fact that it was treated less like a reboot and more like a sequel and I'm happy you see that because a lot of people haven't noticed that because uh, and and that was one of my one of my biggest pushbacks on the reboot itself is that they rather than just treating it like a sequel which they could have easily gotten away with because they didn't build a world they just operated within the same confines of the same rules they they introduced the idea of the um these what was it sliver dreams or whatever where you yeah. you got those little snippets of moments where you're falling under but you're you know still awake so and and that's a that's a really cool concept but the concept of ptsd um with a survivor that was able to escape springwood but the it's it's being drawn back out and it's being drawn back out in the most vulnerable of ways through his children uh, like that's that's perfect storytelling for the nightmare on elm street world it also, you know, sets up the same stuff with uh, Rod, where he's automatically the first person who's blamed when Tina's killed, you know, yeah. and and you're getting all of that in in very creative ways within the confines of this, you know, three minute trailer, and you know, you're you're getting that story, you're getting the world that's being built that you know operates. In the in the assumption that this is somebody that escaped Springwood while Freddy was doing his thing, and because he escaped, that kernel of you know Freddy's impact on him is still there, which is allowing him to still exist. I thought it was brilliant. I, I really, legitimately thought that's the way that a sequel should be done is that, you know, there are people that got away, and those people keep him alive with their yeah. fear. And, you know, that's ultimately the driving force of that story, and then him having to return to Elm Street to confront it, because it's just, it's going to keep coming. And Wow, you have, you have me, like, about to stand on my feet and clap because I'm so happy you understood what was happening. Yeah, no, like, dude, yeah. like, that's, like, it, it seems so clearly laid out, and I just, I thought that that was, in terms of a sequel, a fantastic idea for a sequel. A lot of the times with, with the sequels, it was like, oh, he's just back. You know, right. a, a dog pissed on his grave. In a dream. Oh my god! It, which yeah. I love that. I love that moment. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> there's there's no there's no storytelling in, in the sense that you know Freddie is a is a, a force of nature. He is he operates within your subconscious, and you know that's where post traumatic stress and you know those 
traumas of your past exist is in your subconscious and Mm -hmm. you know so the fact that he's been able to keep that that fear at bay but maybe let's say for example he's having a nightmare his daughter hears it and it's it's like it's like when you get sick and you have your kids around you then they get sick and it, it it just it, I thought it was a fucking fantastic idea. And speaking as a parent, which I know that you are as well, you know, you're the parent of two girls, to to make that decision to have the daughter be you know, his target it's just terrifying. And 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 it <laughs> and it catches you in a way that, you know, especially because a lot of the people that are fans of the original f- films are now parents themselves. They, Bro, they watch these like, as kids. <laughs> you are you are preaching, right? Look, okay, so um, everything that you have said, like I appreciate, like absolutely. And the thing was, that's where my mind was at, and it was it was in the mindset of, look, if the if New Line and Warner Brothers wanted to pick this back up, this is the perfect way to do it because of X Y Z. And it's like, um, not only do you have this opportunity. Um, not only do you have this opportunity to to reach out to the teenagers because like that's like the biggest demographic that's what it was you know when they came out way back when that's why we were all like freaked out about it and parents didn't really care but it's like now you have all those teenagers and like you know preteens who are grown and just like you said have kids and everything and you keep that same demographic but also making a slasher film that brings a new demographic of kids who get to know who Freddy is. And it's to me, it's the mentality of a lot of people come in with the thought of, oh, yeah, Freddy only kills teenagers. And it's like, that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Like, Freddy killed Nancy's mom in the first one. Freddy killed Nancy's dad, like, later in the series. Like, he's killed adults. Like, he killed the coach in the second film. Like, he's killed adults a number of times. And then on top of that, people go into it with the mentality of, uh, Freddy Krueger never killed kids. And it's like, no, that's why Freddy Krueger was killed, was because he was killing kids. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it's like, like, what I wanted to do was bring it to a new audience, also keep the same, like the same audience attached to it. But at the same time, we create this world where people understand that nobody is off limits. Like nobody has ever been off limits. And I just want to reiterate that idea within this is that like anybody can get it. Like adults, kids, like that's like how vicious he is. And reactions uh, we you know I brought it up a little bit that you know there's people that have been singing the praises of this and rightfully so and there's also people that are poo-pooing it which you know that's that's just the nature of the beast but have you gotten any reactions in terms of Nightmare alum um, catching wind of it or having somebody send it across their you know their desk via Twitter or social media uh, as that happened for you yeah yeah a lot of it was funny is a lot of it has mostly just been me like pouring this thing out as much as possible um and i got to i got to speak with uh, i can't remember the actor's name but he he played the wizard master and uh her hiding yeah yep 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 he's a really good guy yeah he is so nice man like so i got to chat with him and he loved it and um, I got to chat with uh, uh, Rennie Harlan, uh, the director of, I believe it was the fourth one, right? Yeah, four. Yep, yep. So I got to chat with him, and like he loved it and gave me a shout-out. Um, I got to chat with the director of the second one. Um, Jack Shoulder. Jack Jack Shoulder. What's funny is I just watched the... Uh, the Hidden? Um, I, I, no, no, no. Actually, I watch, I, I watch a lot of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Like, I've been to watch it all the time. Mm-hmm. He directed one of my favorite episodes that, like, just popped on, and I showed, saw his name pop up. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, he's... That's his dope. Um, but I got to chat with him, and then, like, most recently, uh, Ken... Um, Ken Sagos? I don't know pre- yeah, Sagos. I keep wanting to say Sagos. Yeah, so he, he personally wrote me um a few days ago and told me that a friend sent him the trailers and like just that you know he was blown away and like hopes one day that him and i'll be able to work together and like that message like 
bro, threw, threw me over the moon for a number of reasons, but like one of the big ones is just like, he was, for me, he was the first character I saw as a kid that looked like me. Mm. Like, not to make it a race thing or anything like that, but he was like the first no, black dude, guy, like it, ever. That's what it is, is that, yeah. you know, with the exception of like Larry Fishburne, who's kind of a non-factor, yeah. You know, he's the first African American that's like, "Fuck you, Freddy, let's fight," and right. and it's and that shit is badass. <laughs> yes, it, like for the, for the first one. <laughs> and you know, I I've you know Toy Newkirk, who's uh, Sheila in Part Four, uh, same thing. You know, the the African American representation in the Nightmare on Elm Street films was extremely lacking until uh -huh. the third film. And then it seemed like, you know, with each film, they brought in a person of color um, to <laughs> diversify the group. But, you know, that was another thing that really fucking works about Return, is that the lead is an African-American gentleman. Like, yeah. and, and he's in an interracial relationship. I am a product of an interracial relationship. I fucking loved that shit. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, yes, finally something different. And now you know I get bro. That's like the biggest thing I get. I get crap about like constantly is that like if I were to like if if I could make a pie chart of like the the, the negative stuff that I get. That's Nightmare like on 80%. Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, I get like all this like oh these like liberal liberals and like social justice warriors and blah blah blah. And like the I got a comment today and like the guy was just like. Like, like, what is going on with Hollywood where they feel like they have to put like an interracial couple and everything like that's the way the real world looks. And I just say, what world do you live in? Like 17 percent of marriages are all interracial. And that's not even talking about like just like people dating. I was like majority of and not to even go there, but I'm like majority of the white girls that I knew, like when I came up, which wasn't always in the hood, like like black guys like that was just the thing so it's like why like why is it that this like this is a problem to you why is it that this makes you uncomfortable mm -hmm. and if anything i would prefer you just say you know what i don't like this because it makes me uncomfortable as opposed to making it seem like interracial couples don't happen and i'm trying to force it down your throat which is not the case at all i'm 37 years old my mom is white my dad is black so it's been happening for a long fucking time <laughs> <laughs> you know and that argument is so fucking moot that it's just like I wouldn't even have addressed it. Like it's just like pfft, okay, yeah. <laughs> if that's if that's your biggest problem with this, we're good. Right, <laughs> because, right, right. Because you're clearly an idiot. <laughs> it's like not for nothing, and and you know that's that's a, also another reason why having the characters the way that they're illustrated is so important. And, and having the lead be a male in this film, you know, because it, the last time that was done was Nightmare 2. And then that became an allegory for homosexuality and, you know, this thing inside of you that you're afraid of. And, you know, and, and, it, and it works. It absolutely works. I love Nightmare on Elm Street 2 for that mm -hmm. reason. But there are other male-driven stories that could exist within the nightmare world that aren't explored it's just a it's just a foregone conclusion that the foil to freddy krueger is a woman and that's that's not necessarily the case even in nightmare 2 the the person that ultimately dispatches freddy isn't jesse it's it's her it's the it's the girl it's kim myers it, yep. you know so there's there's just this misconception and and you know i'm i'm all for equality and and women's rights but it's not equal if it's only women fighting freddy yeah <laughs> <And> so uh, <laughs> that is also an important element and you know these are things that are just kind of there without you having to say oh look at look at what i'm doing you know it's just oh yeah and by the way it's, it's a black guy Right. <laughs> and, and that's and that's the way that it should be looked at you know and and that's always been one of my biggest issues is when is when they make it an issue when it shouldn't be an issue the issue should be that it's not an issue that's mm -hmm. when that's when you're doing something that's worthwhile that's when you're saying uh, just like night of the living dead 
you know, people made a big deal about Waleed being an African-American, when in reality he was cast because he was the best person for the job. Yeah. You know, uh, Alien was written for a man, but Sigourney Weaver was the best person for that character. It's the same thing. Yeah, you are, bro, you are just... You are hitting all the notes right now, man. Like, just stuff I've been saying for the longest. And it's just like, I, I've used some of the comments. Um, like, oh, like, you know, they're, like, <laughs> one of the funniest ones is, like, like there were never, like, black people on Elm Street. I was just like, you do not know the series at all, because that is not the case. It was a very small representation, but there were there were black people on Elm Street. And isn't um, Springwood a made-up yeah. fucking town? <laughs> Who right, are you yeah. to say there's no black people here? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> oh man, and that's and and, and uh, uh, that's also why I say I'm I'm happy that you were able to recognize that this was a. Uh, like for me, like I wanted to set it up as picking up as a sequel, um, because my whole mentality was also with it being a black guy. I'm just like, I basically like so within the film, I basically create my own sequel where it's like it picks up after Freddy's dead, mm-hmm. and we we get to go into like when like they say like you have to go back to Elm Street go back to Elm Street it's all a mental thing him like going through therapy to mentally go back there and relive those moments um and within that it a lot it's a creative way to allow us to do these flashbacks back to 1996 which is after again which is after um Freddy's dead and we pick up like his story of like when he lived on Elm Street when he lived in that house and when he got to experience these hauntings um and him and his closest friends similar to like a Nancy situation where they started getting picked off one by one um and he was one of the the like he was one of the two survivors like leaving like the situation um and his whole thing was he had spent years going through therapy and like forgetting all of this and being able to move forward with his life um and that's where like our present day story picks up it's just like him 20 years behind him like you know this is all like new his wife his kids know nothing of his past and to me that's like the biggest fear is like living like with such a dark past that you know like your family knows nothing about and you've you know like you've kept it away um to make everything you know better because you don't want to relive those moments either yeah exactly and you know it, it also brings up that that joke the the constant joke that uh you know uh, black family so I've, I've heard it before if that was me i'd already been gone <laughs> and he, he he legitimately he cuts the fuck out he's out of there yeah <laughs> And I, 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 um, when, when I was building the story up, that was, uh, that was my biggest thing because we wrote this last year. Um, and I'd actually made a post and I'd asked people, I was like, what's, uh, what's the last horror film that you've seen with a lead black male actor? Um, and there wasn't like, you know, it was mostly crickets. Like, you know, people would bring up a few things, but people it was mostly crickets. So and then it comes to mind and I fucking watch a shit ton of horror movies. <laughs> yeah, and well, and what was funny was two weeks later, the Get Out trailer dropped, and I was like, "Get out of here!" Like, how did this? You know, like, did I speak this? How did this just happen? Um, but it was like, so when I went into it, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make it a lead black character because for me, it's it's the most challenging. Like, mm-hmm. it would be easy for me to just put a white white girl in here and like and hash something out. This would be the most challenging, especially with that mentality of what you just said, because that kept popping in my head of. Like, yeah, he would just dip. Like, I mean, he would, he would find a way out of it. And I was like, how how do I force him to stay in it? And I was like, oh, you give him kids so he doesn't have that opportunity. He mm-hmm. has to face it one way or another. And you can even paint the picture that he did run away from these problems and that that was kind of his thing. And it's not <laughs> right. until he's confronted with, you know, his children and his family being in danger that he's now forced to confront it and face these things that he's been running away from his entire life. And yeah. and that's, you know, that's a perfect fucking sequel story. Like, I, I, you know, we've been talking for 
40 some odd minutes and I, I I know I keep saying how fucking great it is but that's because it's fucking great <laughs> and l- literally this this and I know you're against it and and I get why you're against it especially because you know the cost of of illustrating dreams because that to me is the the biggest thing that you you know, confronted with is how do you visually realize dreams? You, you look at yeah. the way Wes Craven did it in the original. He literally had a room, a rotating room, so he could yeah. drag Amanda Wiss across the wall and up the ceiling and everything. So it, I get it. I, I get that that you know to convey these things to to illustrate this world of dreams. You'd want to be more ambitious than just, you know, putting a red filter or a green, you know, you get those red and green lights on each side of the room, like, you know, very Freddy's Nightmares. Shout out to Mick Strong, by the way. (coughs) Jesus, all of the name dropping I'm doing in this episode. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so you you want to be able to paint this this otherworldly, you know, dreamscape. And I completely get that because you know that's just as important as getting freddy right is getting the dream sequences right but i think and and this is just me you know not being a filmmaker just uh an obsessive fan of these films and everything the way that technology has grown the the way that you can implement visual effects if done modestly you could still probably do this. And and what I mean by modestly is, you know, people are so quick and adamant to throw 500 CGI effects and then maybe a little bit of makeup. That's part of the failings, I feel, of that reboot is that they were so preoccupied with doing all of these cool CG effects that it, it lost a lot of the tangibility. And Absolutely. The special makeup effects that were implemented in the original films, and I don't call them practical effects because there's nothing practical about making somebody a burn victim with makeup. <laughs> there's just not. There's. I'm sorry. I, I hate that term because it, it's diminishing. You know something that's special. It's not practical. It's special. Uh, just yeah. personal opinion. <laughs> but I like uh, that. I like that. I'm into that. But you, you want to have a nice middle ground, I think. And I think if you get enough people passionate about what you're doing, you're not going to catch that same kind of uh, paycheck, you know, if everybody's out for paycheck, where you're working on a new line film and it's just, you know, everybody knows, oh, these movies make money. If this is, you know, a passion project and everybody comes on board knowing that that's what it is, Obviously, they're going to get paid, but they're not going to get paid as much. You're going to get a much stronger, you know, performance just across the board in every facet of the production. You know, from the the caterers will be like, fuck, I want to make the hell out of this fucking mashed potato. (laughs) 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 But it's, it's, you know, and I think that you've, you've struck on something that's really, really unique and important and interesting. And, you know, I'd really like to see this go somewhere. And I know you're against it, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to, before we get out of here, push that on you one more time. Um, but I appreciate it. Like, yeah, like, I, I appreciate it. And I, I, I absolutely respect that. Um, and I've, like, I've done a few podcasts and, like, every single one, they're the same way. They're just like, bro, just, just do it. Stop, yeah. like, stop playing around and just go ahead and do it. Yeah, quit um, playing with my emotions, Dumbo. <laughs> What's funny is um, uh, nobody was paid for this. Like no, nobody got paid. Like we shot eight days. Um, it was a budget of six grand. Um, and the, the the thing that I love the most is like even people who speak negatively, they're just like, oh my god, this like I am not into this this new like Freddy Krueger thing that's going to be coming out in theaters. And I'm like, oh, you know what? If you thought it was coming out in theaters, then we did a good job with six thousand dollars compared to. Shoot, the original was like 1.8 million. Uh, I mean, like a little bit less, but like 1.8, and it's just like the reboot was like 
35 million dollars so like thank you for even making that comparison with our measly six grand (laughs) and and that's that's what i'm saying to you is that this is like straight up dude i and and i'm not one for blowing smoke i love the fuck out of this and and it just as a fan of this genre and this particular series this is the series that really uh, again birthed my love for horror films so everything that i've kind of done you know from the point where i was a fucking 12 year old kid on a sleepover uh, watching nightmare on elm street for the first time to now a 37 year old man on a computer talking to somebody that made one of the coolest fucking trailers imaginable has all been because of this movie that I watched that night and and everything that has happened since has in some way shape form or facet been uh, associated with that moment and as somebody that believes that passionately about this franchise and I'm absolutely ready for a new Freddy I have accepted the fact that since it's been since 2003 I've had 15 years to process the fact that Robert England isn't doing it <laughs> you know what I'm saying like yeah and to the people that haven't come on you guys if you love Robert England as much as you say that you do don't fucking try to force him back into that makeup and to do this is that's a young man game like right that's that's another thing that people don't take into consideration but i am willing and ready for a new nightmare on elm street and i don't want anybody but you to do it oh man that is that straight is straight up it's <laughs> you you have a very clear vision of what this franchise is supposed to be and what freddy krueger is supposed to be i I know that there are some people that really love Jokey Freddy, but he's a fucking child murderer, and <laughs> <laughs> like people lose sight of that fact because of the Jokey shit. And yeah. you you get it right on Front Street in that trailer that he is not a man to be trifled with, and he's supposed to be scary. And you know, one of my common things that I say is you know whenever i have an independent filmmaker on is what can you do to make horror scary again well with nightmare on elm street it's really easy stop treating your killer as a joke yeah (laughs) this is just that shit's like it's cute and it sold a shit ton of t-shirts and like i've got a pull string freddy doll uh but at the same time (laughs) you know he's a fucking child murderer and you're selling child toys you're selling toys to kids of a child murderer just just step outside of yourself for a minute and really think about that. <laughs> You're but, not. My thing is, at no point do I ever want to root for Freddy Krueger. Exactly. As much as I, yeah, I love the franchise. I love everything about it. But if I'm rooting for him, there's a problem. Like, there's an absolute problem, and this is not scary anymore. And you're not rooting for the people that he is attacking. If you're rooting exactly. for Freddy... You don't give a shit about the victims. And that's <laughs> a go. weird fucking outlook to have. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we are. We are on the same same wavelengths because uh, yeah, I view it the exact same way. That's my mentality going into this project is at no point do I like I want you to absolutely root for these characters, especially. And this is something we can talk about after like we're not recording anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that this film plays out, it is important, like so important that you care more about these characters than you do about Freddy Krueger. As you should. I mean, really, in any monster movie, you know, and you can you can take Frankenstein out of the equation because obviously, you know, <laughs> Frankenstein is, you know, intended to be kind of a sad story. But in effective monster films, the monster is terrifying, and you're supposed to be afraid. That's yeah. that's the idea. Is you're supposed to be afraid, and how are you afraid if you're laughing? Yeah. I'm all for, you know, breaking tension, but to the detriment of the thing that's supposed to be causing the tension, not so much. Right. Uh, 
But with that said, I'm going to I'm going to hit you with my my closer question, which is what I ask at the end of every single one of these kinds of interviews. And um it's it's much more interesting to me um when somebody's got their entire career ahead of them and you've clearly got a career ahead of you. Uh but with what you've done so far, is there something specifically aside from, you know, maybe being hired by New Line or Warner Brothers? Uh, that you want to say or do in the world of film before everything is said and done? Um, bro, I just want to change it. I want to change it so much. I want to, I think uh, Jordan Peele like, definitely did something um, that opened the door for a lot of us, uh, a lot of us brown filmmakers, um, and, you know, showed that, like, we're, like, we're more than just you know like comedic directors or yeah exactly all like all of those things that you like th- that we've been pig- like just pigeon-toed into um and the thing is like i love horror movies so mm-hmm. like out like my goal is to take like to take off where where jordan peele like opened that door and like start like started that first step and i want to show people like you know it's possible for someone who looks like me to be the next Wes craven yeah, and you don't have to make bones. Exactly. <laughs> you know oh my saying? god, bro. Like, bro. <laughs> uh, dude, I, it, it's like black horror has always been, and and there are there are examples, you know, uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. You know, there, there's there's ex- yep. there are these examples of the way that black people are perceived in horror films as opposed to every other fucking race. And, you know, it really is a a fucking wake-up call with a film like Get Out, and uh, we just covered that a couple, like, a couple weeks ago. Um, Because I just, I I avoided the hype train. I didn't want to fucking get into it. But watching it, it is, it is absolutely deserving of the hype because of what they're able to accomplish in terms of breaking the stereotype down. And I, and I feel like filmmakers in general, even with Black Panther, which is, you know, in essence, just a popcorn picture, but they they broke down the stereotypes. They they gave audiences that aren't ne- necessarily often represented in ways that are per se flattering or even appropriate, and in in this generation, not just like in the 80s or even in the 90s in this fucking generation there's still stereotypes and tropes that African Americans are automatically associated with the Medea films are, are a perfect example oh, yeah. of that yeah. you know in order for black people to make successful money making films we gotta fucking dress and drag <laughs> like <laughs> for real <laughs> like uh, and and that's not disparaging what he's doing, or you know, it's like precious, or you know, there's there's all these shitty examples of the black experience, but rarely do you see somebody that's just you know, I'm just a photographer and I wound up in a bad fucking situation, and <laughs> and, and it's and it's that kind of mindset that needs to be taken towards African American representation in film. It's the same thing with women. Uh, I I would go so far as to say that the the interpretation of women in cinema is much more um, adult than the way that they treat African Americans in cinema. Uh, yeah. You know, and you could, you know, there's there's plenty of time for that. That's a I feel like a whole nother conversation <laughs> entirely, and I don't want to open up that can of worms this you know, late into the conversation. Right. So um, what, what I'm going to do right now is just kind of give the floor to you. Please tell people where they can find you, um, where they can beg you to make this fucking movie. And who's going to, who do they have to talk to to get you to start a Kickstarter? All right. So, um, to get me to start a Kickstarter, <laughs> Damien <laughs> Damien Alpazar is my producer. Uh, you can just search him on Facebook, and I'm sure if enough people write him, he's gonna force me to do it regardless. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Who's Your Film Daddy. You can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Who's Your Film Dad. 
um, and on Facebook uh, under either Dom the Director or you can just search me under Dominic Smith, D-O-M-O-N-I-C. Um, and I will say just to anybody listening, like, please push these, push these trailers as hard as possible, as hard as possible. Hashtag let Dom direct Freddy, hashtag um, Warner Brothers and hashtag uh, New Line Cinema. Like, push those. It's like, that's how I'm going to be able to get exactly what I want. And and that's something that I, I also have talked about on the show. Um, a lot of the times you hear these fans, they complain about this or that or the other. Oh, I'm sick of remakes. I'm sick of these sequels. You know, you, you speak with your wallet. You know, and if you if you let enough people know that this is something you want to spend your money on, the people that spend the money to make these things will then see Oh, there's money in this. So you yeah. have to you have to be proactive. You can't just, you know, argue with somebody in a thread on Facebook or, you know, go back and forth with somebody on Twitter. The clapback isn't helping anything. It's it's <laughs> being proactive and pushing and making your voice heard to the people that need to hear it. And the people that need to hear it in this situation are New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers pictures because they're the ones holding Freddy Krueger hostage. Set Freddy free. Yeah. Help Dom set Freddy free. <laughs> Let's do it, you guys. Uh, if you guys are here just because you've seen that Freddy Krueger was going to be discussed, but this is your first episode, you've really enjoyed the conversation, want to find out more, by all means, you can check us out facebook.com forward slash creature pod follow us on twitter and instagram at creature pod I, I i love your your fucking twitter handle and your instagram <laughs> like that, that shit's so fucking hilarious but uh yeah, it, it, it's in relation to my kids i was like i gotta make something in relation to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's my kids <laughs> but that's gonna do it for us so for dominic smith and for myself again my name is chunky this has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Listen with someone you trust. Track, boy, you ain't never heard this rage. Let me slow it down, dumb it down. Gotta make sure that every day I like understand me. I don't even consider myself a rapper, cause they can't even stand me. I can understand if you don't like rap, cause I don't really like rap fever. Everybody wanna rap, everybody catching it. Must be rap fever. Which is why I don't consider myself a rapper. I'm a rap eater. Seven ahead, attach it from the body, then finalize it with eight caps. Yeah. But I ain't a doctor, I ain't a murderer, I ain't an earth.